Welcome to the Proclaim podcast, where we sit down with missionary disciples and talk all things around sharing Jesus with others. So welcome to the Proclaim podcast. I'm so excited to have this conversation with Raf Salvino and Deacon Richard Conlin, uh, two wonderful young men in our archdiocese. How are you guys doing today? Very good. It's great to be here. I'm honored to be here. I'm doing really well. Really well. Thanks for asking. Good. I'm excited about our conversation because you both have wonderful stories of how God has moved in your life and God is still moving in your life uh, vocationally and inviting you to see how uh, he wants and invites you to uh, be missionaries in his kingdom. Uh, But let's take some time right now to talk a little bit about your stories, how uh, you've grown up and and how God has moved in your life uh, up until now. So Raph, why don't don't I ask you how, uh, tell us a little bit about your story. Sure. So uh, I'm a proud East Van boy. Grew up in East Vancouver with my my siblings, uh, three younger brothers, mom and dad, and a dog, and uh, lived a pretty idyllic childhood. Loved it. Uh, I went to Catholic elementary and learned the faith there. And um, I went to a public high school. And I just figured that you know if I were, so long as I didn't break you know too many of the commandments, I was okay. And uh, unfortunately, that led to a really small vision of what our faith is. And so I didn't reject the faith so much as just kind of grow quietly disappointed with it. And the world just seemed to offer so much more promises of greatness and excitement. And and so I entered university kind of sad that, that my faith wasn't all that I thought it was, that I had been led to believe and then I encountered this dynamic group of fun and cool and practicing Catholics. I didn't know by the way that you could put cool, fun and Catholic in the same sentence. <laughs> so that alone on the first week of university was enough to just it just intrigued me. And from there I was invited to join a uh, discovery faith study which a lot of the uh, uh, a lot of us involved with proclaim at our parishes will be familiar with. And it wasn't the faith study that brought me back to Christ so much as the friendships that I made through that faith study where I didn't even realize it at the time, but I was seeing Christ modeled in in these people, in uh, some future friends and some future mentors. Eventually, I came to hear God calling me in a particular way to serve him, uh, not simply where I was at, but to take another step forward and at least to discern the possibility of being a priest. Um, it was a very quiet, gentle invitation. And when it came time to making the decision to go to seminary, he had he had really prepared me for it. So when I went to go check out the seminary, there was that sense of like, this, this is it. This is where God wants me. And it was a tremendous sense of peace. And from there, uh, all cliches aside, the rest is history. Um, part of that history includes growing in friendship, uh, meeting and uh, growing in friendship with one of my best friends, Deacon Richard. So here we both are in the same room after uh, our journeys are now intertwining and and in ways, yeah, it's it's we'll both be serving together in ministry, ordained ministry, and it's exciting. It's really exciting. Raph, I'd love to hear more about how you made decisions in your life, how God break th- broke through in your heart. Uh, and we're going to get there, but I'd love to hear a little little bit of the background story to Deacon Richard and how we are now here in this room. How did how did you get here? Tell us a little about your story. 
Yeah, thanks, Eric. It's funny, I was just realizing that Raphael, it was in his first week of university that he had this encounter with people that were really um, compelling for the faith. For myself, it was more of my last week of university in which my mom sent me an email one day saying for my birthday this year, uh, I don't want you to give me anything. I want you to go do something. And she had asked her son, who had been away from the church for over five years, to go to confession for her birthday. And so this was a big, bold request from my mom. But this is actually someone who had been intentionally accompanying me day in, day out, asking me every Sunday whether I was going to Mass, although I was not. And uh, that started a process that actually led to a profound encounter with Christ in confession. And that was that experience in confession just set my heart free. That was the day I became an intentional disciple. And then immediately after that, I became in some ways like a missionary disciple because I just had to go tell everyone what happened. And uh, part of that telling everyone what happened was also asking a lot of people for forgiveness for things that I'd done in their life. And so my whole world was was changing due to Christ. And uh, it was a very exciting time. And the more I grew in my faith, the more I, I grew in this desire to want to give everything to Christ. And I saw the priesthood as the way to fulfill that. And so it became really clear that I needed to at least give seminary a shot. And uh, I've never looked back since. It's been a very smooth and joyful ride for sure. And then to as well journey with some of my best friends now like Raph uh, makes it even better. So it's great to be here and just it's always good to reminisce about the journey because it fills your heart with gratitude for what Christ has done. That's pretty amazing to hear how God broke through in your life. And you spoke a little bit of how your world began to change. So what was your world like before that moment? Mm. So I grew up Catholic and I always saw my faith as something that I would get back into later in life. I always kind of pushed it aside. And because I never made the connection with my faith as something that would be fulfilling and joyful, it was more of something that would get me to heaven. And so I had a real divide in my heart between uh, what I saw the faith was compared to what it truly was. And it was only in that encounter and confession where I realized that Christ wants to fulfill the deepest desires of my heart. And then through that, uh, you just want to share that with other people. You can't help it when you have that type of an experience. And so that, that was the real game changer for me, that experience in confession. Both of your stories have something similar, at least for me in listening to it now. And it's the idea that there was something more than what you thought Catholicism, what faith, what relationship with Jesus would have could have been like. And so somehow the picture was somewhat turned upside down or the veil was lifted or uh, the bigger picture was, uh, you know, was revealed. And so, Raph, it sounds like um, friendship and peers who were living this sort of bigger picture life of faith played a big part in, in your own faith life. It definitely prepared me. Um, it prepared me to in, for that life-changing encounter with Christ, which for me happened during adoration at a retreat. I didn't realize it at the time, but there was this this joy you can't quite name. Scripture calls it the, the 
the, the peace that exceeds all understanding. And I didn't quite see it at the time, but I just knew like, we're all university students here. We all have the same amount of, you know, exams and stuff. How come when I stress, these guys stress less? How come <laughs> they're making time to do these things that to me seem unnecessary, like going on all these church things? And why are they coming back more joyful? So there was, I would describe it as almost like a holy envy. Like I was actually kind of jealous. Why are they happy? Why are they peaceful? And I'm not. What is it? And I didn't get an immediate answer. And I'm actually really grateful that I experienced about a year or so after joining this Bible study, this faith study. For a year or so, I had this pain and this hunger and this longing where I knew there was more. I wasn't quite sure where it was going to come from, but I knew it was possible. So a year later, I encounter Christ on uh, a retreat in adoration. And it's exactly like Deacon Richard was saying. Christ just made himself known to me as the fulfillment of all my deepest desires. And it was just, it's, it's compelling. And it's the moment where I really realize that everything about our faith comes down to a relationship. And I had never heard it phrased that way. And I think so many of us right now just don't hear it phrased that way. And if we do, we're just uncomfortable with it. But but really, <laughs> it's it's all there is. Um, yeah. Hmm. So in your own words, how would you encourage someone or uh, what would be those first steps that someone would make to enter into relationship with Jesus? And maybe another way to ask it, I think, uh, Deacon Richard, you said that there was a moment where you became an intentional disciple. So, you know, walk us through a little bit of, you know, those first steps. Mm. Well, I had already known that my mother uh, loved me deeply and that she was fully committed to me. And so it was only out of that relationship with her that I was able to receive this challenge from her to go to confession. So if it was just some person that walked off the street and told me to go to confession for the birthday, there's no way I would have said yes. So it was really out of uh, that, that real relationship of love that I was willing to receive it. And then same thing with Raf. People entered into his life immediately in university and he saw their lived witness and they were committed to him. He he's shared with me many times of the ups and downs throughout university. And these people were continually committed to journeying with him. So it wasn't just like they, they asked him to sign up for a face study and then check a name, check a, a box off the list of another person to signed up. But no, these people were committed to him for all of university and beyond. And out of that commitment, the intentionality of journeying with someone, um, the, the ability to be a disciple came about. And so th- that real vision of you're committing to a person, it's, it's not a program that you're trying to put someone through. You're not trying to fix someone. You're just committing to this person. And that relationship that others had with both of us uh, actually brought us here. Like, the Archdiocese of Vancouver would not have Deacon Richard and Deacon-elect Raphael if there weren't a couple people that actually wanted to commit to us. And out of that relationship, we have a relationship with Christ and we want to share that 
full time all day, every day. And that's what we have the privilege to do now. And so for people out there to realize that you being intentional about a relationship with someone right now, they might be in high school, university, you never know what could come of that. And that, what a, what a gift that you could be an instrument for the Lord in that way. Yeah, Deacon Richard, you're really hitting on something that I think is so important in the work of Proclaim and in the work of evangelization overall, that uh, we don't need to be uh, preachers all the time or, uh, you know, uh, proclaiming the gospel at all times. In fact, a lot of our work in evangelization is about forming genuine friendships, relationships, connecting with others in love, meeting them where they're at, spending time with and understanding their world, their struggles, their questions. So as the Holy Spirit moves, and certainly the Holy Spirit moved in your mom's heart to seize an opportunity and, you know, leverage the birthday wish, Mm -hmm. uh, that opened up the door for you. So what about you, Raph? You need relationship if you're going to evangelize, not just so you can, like you were saying, get the project done or, you know, I, I've achieved this program and we got to look at all the disciples we have. It's We need the relationship because God's placed us each in certain places where there are people that only we can reach. A lot of what my mentors through CCO were saying, uh, maybe a better word would be big brothers and sisters because that's really the kind of relationship we had. A lot of what they were saying was exactly the same stuff I'd heard in, in Catholic school. It was exactly the same stuff I'd often heard my own parents say, but it was just the fact that there was that friendship there and perhaps hearing it from a slightly different angle, that was enough to open me up to it. And I I think too, of for for anyone listening who's just to take courage from the fact that there's no mistakes in terms of where you are, that God has placed you there and there are people that only you can reach. Because you know them, you know these people, and and it, it's not a matter of just imparting knowledge. It's you've got the the basis of this friendship and this relationship, which is just such a fertile seedbed for what God wants to do with these people, um, through you, through you, and yeah, it's it's, it's incredibly exciting. <laughs> mm. Like an image comes to mind when Raf's speaking about that is is the sower and the seed, and how. We are all called to sow the seed um, and to bear a hundredfold, but it's only in relationship that you have a good soil environment. So if you don't have that relationship, it's like sowing seed on hard, rocky ground, whatever it may be. But in a relationship that's one of trust, you know that that is a time of good soil for that person. And that's when the seed can truly sow and, and bear a hundredfold. And so I experienced that in my own life. And that, on a practical level, when you look at the people that you want to bring to Christ, you have to, you have to honestly ask yourself whether there's a genuine relationship of trust there. Like, are you only reaching out to them to invite them to events at church? Or do you just hang out with them and just build a relationship of trust do you, do you text them just to see how they're doing or is it always connected to, can you come to this next event? And these are things that I've realized in my own life. Like there's certain people that I only contact them to invite them to the next youth event or something. 
but I have to go far beyond that. I have to challenge myself because they can sense that there's something inauthentic. If your only relationship with this person is, is um, to put them into a program, but they want, they want to be loved. They want to be known. They want to um, have a, a genuine relationship with you. And so that's the challenge that I feel from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're touching on um, uh, an important part of the Proclaim movement, the invitation for disciples to consider themselves as missionary disciples and how relationships are at the core of uh, our approach to missionary discipleship. So miss- missionary disciples aren't good event planners, although some of them are, uh, but, uh, but uh, missionary disciples have their hearts turned towards another in honoring and respecting and desiring the good of the other in the context of a relationship. So let's talk a little bit about missionary discipleship, Ralph. What, I was yeah. definitely the the beneficiary, the happy recipient of this mis, uh, missionary discipleship. I can think of two examples from my, my time at university with CCO. I knew from the moment I joined CCO and was in a faith study that these leaders, these older brothers and sisters, were all about being missionary. And up, and I had figured that, oh, maybe that's just like a preference or a specialty or whatnot. But I can think of a, two instances where it just really sealed the deal. And I saw that being missionary was part of being a disciple. And I, so like I was saying, there's this, this relationship of friendship. And um, my faith study leader invites me to join a flag football fun tournament to coincide with the Super Bowl or whatever. So, you know sometime in the winter in in the lower mainland and we just got a team together some of the people were from the faith study some of us weren't but we just were out at the fields all day playing this flag football game and the next day we're back in class and I have our faith study and my leader's talking about just the game and how it went and it was a lot of fun but we're also so sore because you know you're running around on a field in cleats all day and there was something about being able to joke about yesterday's game and how sore we all were and then in the same sentence talk about Christ and it was in that moment where I realized okay this missionary aspect it's not a little specialty and it's not even something tacked on to someone who's serious about following Christ it just it's it's part of it it's entirely part of it and another time too I can think of is um I remember uh, my faith study leader wanted to meet up with me to make up for a lesson that I had missed. And um, I the only time that worked was if he came over to my parents' house where I was living for dinner. Now, growing up as an Italian boy and he's fan, dinner time's a big deal. And I'm sorry, I, I can't miss dinner. You're going to have to come here. So he came over for dinner. And there, there it is again, just that sense of like, here's it, it brought this relationship from outside of the campus right into the home where I felt most comfortable. And he's joking around with my brothers. My parents are laughing with him and, and we're all just having a great time. Like it's, it's truly a family experience. So the, the faith study, in a sense, is brought right there into the middle of the home. And then when you go back to campus or you go back to the church environment, you're not worried about coming across as a phony when you make that missionary appeal because it's just part of who you are as a follower of Christ in the context of relationship. And that's one of the uh, 
exciting things about being Catholic is this, we call it like a sacramental worldview in which you're able to see in just the ordinary things of life, God's grace at work. And so whether it's flag football or, or um, for me, a recent experience was playing video games with youth in which you're actually able to bring the faith into this experience. So we bridged uh, playing Fortnite with uh, a saint whose beatification is underway, Carlo Acutis. And we're able to allow these kids to see this ordinary activity that they do on a daily basis that they love with their faith. And then all of a sudden they realize that, um, that God actually wants to be involved in just things that they enjoy. And, and that can be a game changer for, for youth today, for anyone today to realize that it can be precisely in these, what we would consider ordinary activities that people just enjoy with the faith that we're trying to proclaim to others. What are some of the other ways where you've found experientially have been helpful for you in growing as a missionary disciple? Hmm. I've had uh, the preaching as a deacon has been a huge challenge to grow as a missionary disciple because uh, you, you prepare for a homily throughout the entire week and you really try to actually exercise prophetic listening with the people that you're speaking with throughout the entire week in order that we would call it um, Father Nick Meisel. He was our, our homiletics teacher, and he, he said that the role of a homilist is a matchmaker. So you're taking the grace of the, the readings for Sunday with the needs of the people that you're preaching to, and you're a matchmaker. You're matching what the Lord is proclaiming through the readings with what the people are desiring. And so throughout the entire week, I have to have this prophetic listening, which I'm trying to understand. What are the needs of the people? What are they really struggling with? What are they desiring? What, do, what, do, uh, what are the challenges that they have? And then how can the gospel meet them in that need? And so the exercise of developing homilies throughout the week and then proclaiming the homily uh, to the people has been a huge challenge for me of growing in that ability uh, as a missionary disciple. But that applies to everyone on a daily basis. You go to daily mass, the readings of the day are God's word living and active for you right now. And the Lord is asking you to take the, that message and then bring that out. When I say as a deacon, one of the only things I get to say during Mass, go forth, the Mass is ended. I'm, I'm sending you out to bring the good news that you just heard to the people in your life. And so that's the challenge for everyone, every single person. That's how you're called to be a missionary disciple from your morning experience at daily Mass to the people that you meet in work, at home, wherever it may be. I love that imagery of being a matchmaker. Because uh, it can it can extend beyond the particular um, application that you're sharing in homiletics and preaching. Uh, I don't get to offer homilies, but I could be a matchmaker in looking for the ways in which God is uh, offering grace and opening opportunities and 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 matching that or or finding a way to uh, invite those who have needs and are desiring or, or questioning you know, aspects in their life. And, and helping them kind of come together. So a missionary disciple is a matchmaker. I'm going to, I'm going to yes. quote you on that. <laughs> what about you, Raf? 
for me, as I was growing into missionary discipleship, I think one of the first things I would say is I never would have called it that. Because again, in the context of friendship, I didn't realize that what was going on could be called discipleship or accompaniment. I just knew I had these mentors, these big brothers and sisters in the faith that were leading me along with them. And I was slowly growing more like Christ as I saw them model it. And I wanted to follow. And occasionally, and again, this applies to us all, there would be a challenge. And because being a missionary is challenging, um, and, and that challenge is, again, very particular to the circumstance. So as a university student, it was going around in the study commons, like the big spaces where people would study and hang out, and invite people to a faith study. The rejection rate on one of those things, uh, Eric, I'm sure you remember, it's pretty high. <laughs> but nevertheless, it'd be worth it for that one person that would just express interest, or sometimes even a polite no was enough to kind of, you got the sense that the spirit was encouraging you and saying, look, this is a challenge you can handle. And, or perhaps in the family, to be a missionary to one's own family, I think is, is a much overlooked area of legitimate discipleship and missionary work. It's so difficult. It's so difficult, especially because, at least for me, if, if I try and uh, <laughs> be a missionary to my brothers, they know who I am. They remember me growing up, and I'm definitely not perfect now. And so while there's that challenge of, well, you know, I don't really have it all together, and here I am speaking of God, I actually think that that's one of the, the greatest assets you have because it's you're authentic. You are authentically striving to live a life for God. And, and the people around you see that. They see your flaws, and they also see the beauty of it too. And so when you make that appeal to live a life for Christ, it carries so much more weight and authority, again, in the context of relationship. And to apply that matchmaker idea to Raf's situation, if you if you was to take a family member or a friend, or those listeners out there can just think of someone in their life that they want to bring back to the church, back to the Lord. Okay, now vision yourself as a matchmaker. Okay, the Lord deeply desires to have a match with this person, deeply desires a relationship with them. And he views that person as the beloved. And your role is the matchmaker. Jesus is asking you to set up the match between that person and the Lord. And so in a, in a, in a sense, you're, the pressure, you can kind of step back in the background. You're not the focal point. The Lord's the one truly at work desiring a relationship with them. And you have the privilege of being a matchmaker for that. So even if they reject it, as you were sharing with the invitation, it's not about you. The Lord's asking you to make the invitation because he's the one that deeply desires to have a relationship with this person. You just get the privilege to invite. Mm -hmm. And you get the realization that he's, also inviting you into that deep relationship and and you can just accept with gratitude that you actually know that he views you as the beloved and he desires that relationship with you and so maybe the matchmaker thing for invitation can also be a helpful um kind of catchphrase for that yeah and i think another way of looking at that matchmaker illustration um it is for us as missionary disciples, 
the success of our matchmaking is not up to how well we are as matchmakers. And, uh, and, and this is where we know that the principal agent of evangelization is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit leads people to a conversion of heart. And so our invitation to be matchmakers, and I think for missionary disciples, sometimes we would feel like we, we don't want to get it wrong or that our effectiveness as a missionary disciple is based on, you know, can we present something well? Do we make the invitation at the exact time that we should? Uh, do we, you know, do we have all of our, our, our skills and our practices in, in order in, so that we can most effectively make the match? And, and I think that as missionary disciples, we can have some trust and confidence that our job is to present the match, if you will, to, you know, to see the opportunity, to see the grace, the goodness that God wants for uh, the people uh, but the results are not up to us. Mm. Yeah. There's one uh, passage in scripture that my faith study leader shared with me, perhaps, I don't know, 10 years ago, and it's just stuck with me. And I think it really encapsulates what we're doing here. It's the words of St. Paul, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the growth. When I sit with that, I think, like, I, I might be the one planting, I might be the one watering i might be the one who actually gets to see the fruit of this all and i might not but do i trust that the holy spirit is working through me at whatever stage he's called me and it can be really tough because it there is that aspect of pouring yourself out in love and in suffering and for the sake of this person and you may never see the fruit but that to me it's just the the measure of my trust in god like you but you know what i'll do it anyways because i know god's called me to this and I love this person who I'm, I'm ministering to, being a missionary to, too much to not at least give it a shot. So I, mm. I, I don't know where in scripture that is. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's Corinthians. It's the Catholic problem. <laughs> it's somewhere in that book. <laughs> I was actually preaching yesterday on the Feast of St. Therese about uh, this idea of being a missionary and how she said the, the greatest mission work I'm going to do is from heaven. And that can be a really helpful idea as well because there's a lot of people out there that are afraid that one of their loved ones, they won't get to see their conversion. And that can be a great fear late in life that there's many people that you hope to bring back to the Lord and it just doesn't seem to be working. But St. Therese has this beautiful vision in which from heaven, I'm going to let fall a shower of roses, like just an abundance of grace in so many people's lives. And that's where I'm going to do my real mission work. And so that can be an encouraging motive as well for, for us to know that it actually may be from heaven that we will truly be doing the great mission work. And that's just a radical trust in the Lord that, yeah, I might be planting, I might be watering, could be here, could be in heaven. <laughs> I'll leave it all up to him. And then you just have the joy of um, co-laboring with the Lord, wherever it may be. What excites you both about uh, your vocation? And in particular, uh, what mission op specific and unique mission opportunities can you see as you live out your vocation? Mm. I get to do what I love to do all the time, which is just so 
exciting that what I what makes my heart come fully alive um, which is bringing people to the Lord preaching about um, the Lord doing uh, I just love the sacramental life of the church everything about it I get to commit myself full time to and uh, that's just an incredible privilege because there's not too many people out there that absolutely love what they do every day and uh to get experience of that already is is just so good. I was joking recently when they said what has been your highlight over the last month that my highlight was not going back to the seminary. And a lot of people found it quite funny that that was the highlight of my month. But the deeper insight was that I'm so happy at Corpus Christi and I didn't want to leave there. It was so good. And so the real highlight is that I didn't have to leave that environment and just to, um, to be able to, to do this all the time is just such a privilege. So that, that's what set, sets my heart on fire when I, when I think about um, what the Lord's up to in my life and, and what I get to be involved in with him. So it's very exciting. And I get excited just hearing you describe it. Like, I mean, you know, you're you're already experiencing ministry and, and I'm very close to that. And it's just so exciting to see you like just overjoyed with it. And so there's that aspect. Um, I find, too, that that God's kind of put a, a desire in my heart to and it's he's kind of revealed it in conversations I've had with with people I, I know quite well. Like I'm thinking of my family or, or close friends. I just want to dismantle this lie that exists that says well this lie kind of has two two aspects of it one is only the priest can evangelize that is it's such a it's such a lie i mean god is we've all received the gifts of the holy spirit for starters and the other one is that i don't know enough it's kind of tied to that first one i don't know enough and what i mean by that is in the formal theological sense i've sat down with people that have such life wisdom, such love, and are just so much greater people than I. And yet they're stifled by this belief that, well, you know, Raph went to seminary, so he must be the expert in the room. No, definitely not. I am not the expert in the room. Not at all. There's, yeah, so I get excited about the opportunity to equip the missionaries for this diocese. I would love it and I, I would I would die a very happy death. So we were talking earlier about, you know, if I could see the fruits, if I could make a request to our Lord to see the fruits of a parish where every single parishioner knew that God from my baptism has called me to be a missionary. If they knew that, oh man, that would be <laughs> that would be such a joy. I would die with with a huge smile on my face and and hopefully intercede for them from heaven, <laughs> God willing. But yeah. Wow. Well, my heart is encouraged by both of your stories and your witness and your desire to uh, be in ministry and serving God's people. It's, it's very clear that your heart has been captured by the Lord and has been 
uh, put on fire to share the love that you've experienced with others. And I think for our Proclaim listeners, we can be encouraged here in our Archdiocese uh, to have wonderful men like you. And there are others that are forming their hearts, uh, both lay and clergy, to be uh, a witness to the world and to proclaim Jesus boldly. So thank you so much for taking the time to share your story. Uh, we're going to have you on again for another episode, and we're going to talk a little bit of um, your experience with uh, a master class that you took with CCO on intentional accompaniment. We'll talk about accompaniment overall, and hopefully our listeners will uh, get to hear more of the fire in your heart and your excitement for the mission. So thanks so much for being with us, and we'll, we'll catch you again at the next episode.